welcome up uh, Matt and Lauren uh, Bowen. Awesome. And uh, I've just met these guys, and they're rad. But uh, you know, afterwards, um, I'm not going to pretend like I know them super well. But they're they're super cool, and uh, their kids are like identical ages to mine, except for one. But um, afterwards, say hi, and you know, uh, get to know them. Uh, and then I want to invite uh, a couple guys up to pray for their family and the endeavor that they're about to set out on in the near future. And um, and then Matt's going to share with us. He's going to tell us a story a little bit and uh, share some from the Word. So we're excited to have you with us, Matt. Hey, thanks, Peter. Welcome, Matt. And I've asked uh, a few folks to join us up here. So um, in case you don't know, uh, Nate here has been a, a faithful man here at Sherwood. And then there's Kevin and Jane there. Just awesome folks, and uh, so I got to meet Matt a few weeks ago, and uh, I too don't know him very well, but I already love him. And uh, so, you know, we came, and Hillsborough's Congregation of Colossae came out of Tigard, but this is a different situation with Matt planting in um, in Beaverton. It's not out of Tigard, it's out of Tigard, Hillsborough, and Sherwood. We are part of that mission of God, and so we're just excited to meet Matt together today, and we're Excited to get to pray for him and Lauren today. So if, if you guys would just help me just gather around. I don't know how this prayer is going to go, but the Holy Spirit does. <laughs> so, Father, we just come to you this morning. We just are amazed at, at your goodness. We're amazed at who you bring into our lives and, uh, and what you have them doing. Father, we just join with you in, in your mission to bring God's love and God's character into our community, into our world. Father, we pray that the path is prepared and that that uh, Lauren and Matt are just energized and healthy and, and ready and roaring to go. And, Father, we know that it's not always easy, so we pref- we just ask that your your blessing, your um, your grace would be um, upon them as they go forward in, in this new chapter of their lives and this chapter of Colossae's lives, and that we would feel part of that and we would be energized as part of that. and. And join with them in prayer and in resources and in the ability to, to advance your kingdom, Father. So we pray for them to this morning and um, just just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, uh, good morning. Super excited to be with you. Obviously, I wish, uh, wish Rick was healthy for his sake. Uh, but I had to tell him yesterday on the phone. He asked me to come and give the message. I said, well, I have to hand it to you. You are so much wiser than I was a few years ago. I happened to be preaching on hell and started throwing up at like 5 in the morning and just threw up in between services, before, after. It just was awful. And uh, I think I was living out my topic uh, for the morning. And I had to say, like, you're you're just wise. I was just dumb. So I learned my lesson. You have a shepherd who knows his boundaries. So, um, well, and I've just loved, I get to share an office space with Rick, and so it's just been such a privilege to get to be with him and uh, learn alongside him, and he just loves you, and so it just, it just oozes uh, Jesus, which is awesome. So, well, we're, we're excited to be a part of the uh, Colossae family. I'll just uh, briefly uh, introduce myself. Lauren and I just jumped in to Colossae January one. And so we are, we're just kind of learning the culture and learning what's happening and meeting people. 
And, uh, and we spent the last 15 years at Cedar Mill Bible Church up in Portland at the top of 217 there. Uh, and so we, uh, we have enjoyed being in ministry there and uh, have, uh, the Lord blessed us on our way out, the elders and um, the church just sent us out with great blessing at the end of 2017, affirming that God was directing us in a, in a new way. And so um, this morning, my hope is to just step into your series, move the story, and continue to hopefully move that series forward a little bit. I know Rick has some things that he's going to bring next week, I think, to round out the series, but this week I'll, I'll try to catch up uh, with where you've been. Um, you know, by nature as people, uh, we are meaning-making creatures. Like, we make meaning. Uh, when you ask what a culture is, uh, as you circle around all the complexities of what culture is, at the end of the day, you realize that culture is how we make meaning of our lives, right? We make meaning in all kinds of ways. If you live in an economic culture, money gives meaning, right? It provides power and autonomy and freedom to do what you want. If you live in an individualistic culture, then uh, you are your own author and you get uh, what you want. Getting what you want is your highest good, right? These are cultural frameworks that sound kind of familiar, right? Like it's all about us. And, and so these are the stories that we inhabit and that shape us but God's also a storyteller, right? God's been a storyteller since the beginning. And so he's inviting us into his Trinitarian culture, right? The, the life of relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. And he invites us into that. And so he tells us stories so that we can understand what it means to be human. And so uh, last week, I know Rick uh, shared with you this, the kind of the basic biblical story like it, it just has this flow right let's let's put up the next slide does this look familiar to you okay I'm, I feel like I'm shooting in the dark here so uh, since I haven't been here um, but right we walked through this story that that God first of all it creates right actually we could back up and say God in the beginning before he creates is a lover Right? That actually, in John 17, when Jesus describes what God was up to before creation, he says, uh, right, you loved me before the foundation of the earth. Right? So what was God up to? He was partying right? before. That, that's what was going on. Like God's like doing relationship. He's just loving. Right? So that's actually what's going on before creation. But then he creates. Out of the overflow of his love, he actually desires to share his life of love and relationship with others. That's his is outgoing nature. And so he creates, and he creates a world where we're not just robots, but we actually are partners. We're made in his image, and we're made to share in his rule. He says, actually, go rule, right? Go do what I would do with my stuff, right? Go, go participate in my nature, right, by, uh, by ruling. And then he says, um, the story takes a turn, right? The story has a setting. It's all creation, and then it has a plot twist. Right? There's this corruption that happens where humans rebel against God's rule. They're actually like, you, you want to define good and evil for us, but I'd rather define good and evil for myself. Thank you very much. Right? If you define it, then you're ruling. If I define it, then I'm ruling, and that sounds better to me. Right? And that's, that's chapter of the story is called corruption, and it touches everything. And then there's this, uh, this 
long section of your Bible, most of it, that uh, we might insert another word here called calling or covenant, where God calls out a people. He makes a promise, a, a covenant, with a people called Israel. And Israel is to be uh, a blessing to all the nations. They're to mediate the presence of God out to the ends of the earth. And, and they fail, right? They have all the tools and help and powerful experience of God in person, and yet they're bent inward just as much as every other human. Right? And they rebel all the same. And so God brings about what he had promised, right? He, he's faithful to his covenant and, and he does that through Christ, through the redemption story, that Christ is uh, the human we were all meant to be, that he actually lives under his Father's rule with perfect loving submission, as well as he, has, he shows what it means to be a human who, sh- who shares God's rule. Right? He says good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a guy who's embodying the rule of God by doing righteousness and justice in the world, and it's really beautiful. But... What he does in the cross and what he does through the resurrection brings about a new creation right? that is here now and not yet. Um, if I were to tell the story, I would kind of flip it sideways right? so you can kind of see it in relationship to time. Like this creation and corruption happens like on page two or page three, right? And then I'd insert Israel somewhere in there. And then Christ comes and he brings the kingdom or the, the new creation. And it's not all here. Uh, it will show up when he returns. This is the consummation of the story. And in between is us. You are here, right? You are the church, right? Like when you go to the mall and you try to find, like, locate yourself, like, where am I in relationship to Foot Locker, right? Like, well, I'm, I'm a long ways away, right? So, well, here we are, right? The, the kingdom has come. Like, God's established his rule in human hearts through his Holy Spirit. But it's not all here. Like, there's tears and suffering and pain. and The world's not as it should be. And so we're in this story, and we have a part to play in the story. Um, when I was uh, young, I, I embraced Christ at an early age. Um, you know, it's fun being a dad. Now I get to see my kids experience and discover Christ. Uh, and I believe I'm seeing at least my older two love Jesus um, I'm praying for my youngest one, man. She's she's a feisty one. So. Uh, but uh, sh- the other, you know, as they there's a certain age where it, it be- begins to click, right? And it clicked for me, like, oh, Jesus, he's beautiful. Like, I love him. And and so uh, at an early age, I gave my life to Christ, and and then that began a journey of searching for an identity. Right? As I hit the teenage years, I was just searching for an identity, an identity that could be sustained beyond what I could do or couldn't do or what people thought of me, right? Because when your identity is at the mercy of what people think of you, it's a bummer, isn't it? You're exhausted all the time, just trying to please people. And I was an only child, so I was a model people pleaser. And a lot of that's had to be discipled out of me through marriage and family. So So what happens uh, is I began to read the Bible relationally, right? Not as a list of rules of, like, what is it that I need to do to make God like me, right? people pleaser, but as a story of God's self-revealed love, where he was inviting me in to be uh, rooted in who he said I was through the gospel. And so at age five, I had invited Jesus into my life, but by age 15, I realized I had it all backwards, and Jesus had invited me into his life. 
this is what reading the Bible relationally would do. You realize that I, I'm not the author of this story. He's the author of this story, and he's invited me into his life. And so the anxiety that I felt over who I thought I was began to fade, and a passion emerged, a sense of vocation, a sense of I have a part to play in Christ's kingdom story to bring it forward. And so that's what's going on when we embrace Christ and we discover that, uh, that he's invited us into his story. That we begin to make meaning of our lives around the larger story of what he's said. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Yeah. And so um, our cultural story wants to take Jesus and fit it into our own individual lives. Like that's, that's how it works. Like we invite Jesus to do something for us, right? And it's a narrative that revolves around us. Right? I want Jesus to assist me in reaching the purposes that I have set out for myself. But as we begin to engage Scripture, we realize that the story runs the other way around, right? that he's actually inviting us into his story. Um, and so how do we actually strain against that tendency, that tendency make Jesus part of our story. I, I think Jesus actually prays for us in this tension. He actually gets at it in John 17. Listen, listen to what he says. Let me put it up on the wall here. This, this is his prayer uh, in the garden before he's arrested. Okay, He says this. I do not ask for these only. That's his 12 guys. right? And, and maybe it could be argued that the 70 or so who are associating with him, men and women, he says, I don't ask for these only, his current followers, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's you, right? That's me. That's us. So I, what is he praying? I'm asking not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This tells us a lot, right? This is, I mean, this is language we don't use a lot, like I and me and we and them, and like, that's, that's not a typical language. But this is the way Jesus is getting at something very, very important. He's talking about our being united to him, right? Our being united to him. He's, he's talking about how the Father loves us just as much as the Father loves the Son. We share in the same love. We share in the same relationship. And that, that relational dynamic moves outward into the world. And how you think about moving the story forward matters here. Right? When we talk about let's move this story forward. We're, we are here. We're the church. We're embodying the kingdom in the world, right? In the now and the not yet. How do we move that story forward? Well, some of you might think about it as a job description, right? It's this duty. 
I've got to go get stuff done. If I don't do a good job, I might get fired. If I do a really good job, I'll get a raise. I'll get some kind of reward. Right? It's just duty. It's just, right? Or other, others of us might think of it as a necessity. Like if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. Then we're the hero of the story. Or others of us might think of it uh, as just purely impossible. It's just mission impossible. Right? Like forget it. Right? How can I possibly move the story forward? Don't you know all the, the things that are broken in it? Well, here's what is interesting. Right? These are all distortions of what Jesus was focusing on here. All of those emphases on moving the story forward are about what we do. But what Jesus is praying for is who we are. See, do you see the difference? Jesus isn't praying, uh, Lord, I, I pray that these apostles would really get their sermons dialed in before they faced the Sanhedrin. I pray that these guys would really nail it on providing food for the poor in their midst. He doesn't focus on the externals. He doesn't focus on the behaviors in his prayer. He prays for their being, right? which is interesting, not primarily our doing. Now, doing doesn't get neglected in Jesus' economy. It, it just takes second place to being. Our doing flows from who we are in relationship. And so I think this is pretty interesting. I mean, if Jesus had focused on the externals, the disciples may have come out thinking, you know, my worth in God's story really depends on what I do for God. And so they would have passed on moralism to us, right? where you do something for God and he gives you something in return, whether it's worth or belonging, right? They would have focused and aimed at the external. They would have evaluated their worth and participation in the story on the basis of their works. And here's the deal. You, you can aim at externals, right, and miss the heart. You can aim at the doing all day long and miss love and miss being in relationship with Jesus and the depth of who you are. But if you aim your life at the being, right, at, at uh, rooting yourself in who you are by a result of his affection and grace, right, of God's being your father and ordering your loves, doing will always flow as a result. If I tell my kids, hey, I, you guys are awesome because, right, the affirmation of what I'm affirming is huge, right? If I affirm, Penny, you're so good at homework, like all the time, and she doesn't hear, I just really love who you are, she's going to think her worth is based on what she does for me, right? But what does Jesus pray? Right? Pray that they would be one. He prays into the bond of our union with him, which is so phenomenal and so fascinating. So we move the story forward by focusing on who we are. When you focus on who God has made you and determined you to be, in his grace, in union with him, it shapes everything else. It shapes your attitudes. It shapes uh, what you actually end up doing as a result. Right? But what you end up doing as a result comes from security and love, not in order to obtain worth. Do, do you see the difference? This is the gospel of grace. All right, where are we at time-wise here? Is it doing okay? 20-minute message is uh, not a norm for me. So, all right. So here's, as we, as we focus in on what Jesus has prayed, right, 
that we would be one, right, in him, right, we are loved, that, that then shapes how we live out our story as a church body, right, as Colossae as a whole, right, Hillsboro and Tigard and Sherwood and soon to be Beaverton, God willing, right, I'm in the weird in now and not yet, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a church in Beaverton at some point. Right? We move in faith. But it, it, what's interesting about this is this, this love that Jesus says is ours right, is always outgoing. It moves out, doesn't it? It overflows. Right? When, by being who you are, Jesus says the world will know that the Father sent the Son and loves them just as he's loved right, the Son. By being who you are, the world gets a picture of who God is. It's an outward working uh, identity. And so that's been the conviction of Colossae uh, since day one. Now, since I'm new, some of you may be new, it's helpful to recount the convictions that have driven Colossae. This is what was attractive to me. As I was hanging out with Chuck a year ago out at Ecola, uh, I was just hearing his convictions about what the church is. And I was saying, I'm in. Like, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think that's spot on. And so God has orchestrated this, and we get to work together, which is fun. But the conviction is multiplication, that life always multiplies. Life always moves out. You think about uh, in Malcolm in Jurassic Park, right? Life finds a way, right? It does. Life always multiplies. Genesis 1, God decrees it that way. Blessed to multiply. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 12, I'm blessing you, Abraham, to be a blessing. Like through you, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. Matthew 28, go, make disciples, right? Even go back to Isaiah and think about the way he was with God in Isaiah 6, and he sees God, and then God says, who's going to go for me? He goes, put me in, coach, right? When you're with God, you can't help but go out. Right? You can't help but share the, uh, the reality of who he is. And so what began as clusters of individuals from Tigard and Sherwood and, uh, and Hillsboro coming to a house church right, became clusters of communities in each one of those places because we're called to be who we are, where we are. And then, as God has grown Colossae, we've become congregations, right? In Tigard and Sherwood and Hillsborough. And there's also clusters of communities in Beaverton. And so now we can just continue that story forward to be who we are, right? People loved by Jesus, right? And, uh, and be that where we are. Um, one of the things that helps me think about what it looks like to be who we are, where we are, is one of my f- favorite, uh, uh, oh yeah, there we go. Isn't that cool? I like that. Or it's a flanking move, right? Aloha's next, I think. I don't know. We'll see. Um, one, one of the, the people who helps me think about this is this guy named Leslie Newbigin, who uh, was a British missionary to India and theologian. And one of the things he said about what the church is in relationship to God's kingdom story, is that the church is a sign of the kingdom, a foretaste of the kingdom, and an instrument of the kingdom. 
that when we focus on being who we are, what will result is that we will live as a sign. And a sign isn't the thing itself. We're not the kingdom. We signal the kingdom. By merely gathering together, a group of strangers who would never otherwise be friends are bound together in a familial bond and call each other brother and sister. That makes no sense. It's weird. We group sing and we listen to an ancient book, right? Because we've been loved by Jesus and it's been transforming. and He's bound us together as one. And so uh, that itself is a sign to the world that the kingdom has invaded, that the old age is passing away. Uh, it's also a foretaste, right? It's like a preview uh, of the kingdom. Our, our oneness, our practice of forgiveness, our effort in reconciling relationships, our lifting up of the poor. Right? What happens Right? When you experience that, you realize there's another reality than the one I've been living. That's a foretaste of the kingdom. And it's equally an instrument right? that we actually embody the kingdom today. All right. I think we've hit 20 minutes. And I want to honor uh, the moment. Right? Because as a church, we're going to pray into this. Are we doing prayer or no? We're going to worship <laughs> and sing and pray on your own. I don't know. How is this going? This is going to be a funny recording to listen to. For Rick. I'm asking you, Peter. I'm sorry. I'm looking at you. We'll see what happens. I like that. It's been a long... Yeah. Okay. So what I want to... Oh, yeah. Here's what, here's what I want to do in this moment. I want to invite us right, um, to remember right, the love that the Father has for the Son and shares with you. And we do that by going to the table. Right? And what we have an opportunity to do as we gather and sing is to, to come to the table and to take the bread, dip it in the cup, right? and, and it's a remembering and actually calling to mind again who you are. You're one who's fred, fed freely. Right? You're one who is nourished by another. You're not a self-made person. Your worth is not in what you do and what you bring. You're simply brought into the table because you are loved. You're simply nourished by Christ himself and united to him. Right? And so that's, that's who you are. And as you live into that, you can't help but express that. So let's, let's remember right? Christ's body given for us, Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Right, and God's love, he sent his son to unite himself to our humanity. Right? Through faith, we are united to him. It's a beautiful story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for moving toward us to embrace us and now draw us into your story. We thank you that we don't have to sit at the center of our story and make meaning for our lives, but that you sit at the center of the story and that you've given meaning to our life as it finds its meaning and purpose and relationship to you. We thank you, holy God, that you share yourself with us, not just something that you do, but you share yourself. 
So we come to the table to remember that, to claim again the promise that you are with us here now through your spirit and dwelling in us. Move us forward as people who embody the kingdom as signs and foretaste and instruments of the kingdom rooted in this good news of who you are. We love you, Father, Son, and Spirit.